Welcome to Soaring the Sky, a Glider Pilots podcast. My name is Chuck. I will be your host. This is episode 12. On today's episode, we jump in the cockpit with Laura Radigan as she takes us on an aerobatic journey. Laura has her power license, her glider license. She also has a motor glider rating as well as a seaplane rating. Laura has competed in the U.S. National Aerobatic Competition, and this summer she is headed to Romania to compete in the World Competition. Laura, thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Chuck. So where did everything actually get started with you? I mean, where, where did this whole story with aviation and you, when did that start? Well, it started about six and a half years ago. Uh, I was sitting at home and I got a notification from Groupon that there was a uh, coupon available to purchase for a glider ride at my local glider port. So I thought, sure, why not? Let's give it a try. It'll be fun. I did that. And uh, after the discovery flight, I realized that I really wanted to continue and get a uh, glider rating so that I could go soaring on my own. I took lessons and right after I soloed the glider, I decided I wanted to become a powered pilot as well. So, like most people, I just walked into my local FBO, dropped my purse on the table, and said, I want to become a pilot. When can we start? Fortunately, the uh, chief instructor was standing there, and she said, let's go, young lady. And we went for uh, my first powered flight. I did my single-engine land rating, over at the Merritt Island Airport in a 152. And it took me about 90 days to go from uh, never having flown a Cessna to taking my check ride. The joke in my office was every time there was a nice day, I would come down with a bad case of Cessna. I'd walk into my, <laughs> my, my I'd walk into my boss's office and say, hey chief, I gotta go. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I had a lot of Cessna that, that season. So I, uh, I went back after I got my single engine rating, and I finished up the glider as an add-on rating. And then uh, I spent a lot of time jumping back and forth between gliders and single engine, trying to build time. And when I came up for my two-year flight review, uh, some friends talked me into going to Jack Brown's seaplane base and getting a seaplane rating. And I have to say a seaplane rating is uh, a lot of fun. It doesn't take a lot of time. It's a weekend rating. You can do it in a three-day weekend like I did. And it resets your flight review, and it's a heck of a lot of fun. Well, backing up a little bit, in the glider, what got me going uh towards the aerobatics in a glider was I was out flying after I got my glider rating and exiting a thermal one day, I got uh, rolled upside down. And yeah, it it doesn't happen all the time, but it's not impossible. And I had been doing some reading and I realized that there's some very important differences between what goes on in a sailplane when it's right side up and it's upside down. Mainly, the big thing is a glider pilot is taught that gravity is your engine. You're always going downhill. And when you become accustomed to looking at a sight picture that is always below the horizon, 
when you roll a glider upside down, that picture changes significantly because if you use the same sight picture inverted that you do right side up, you're actually in a screaming dive and your speed builds up very rapidly and that can be very bad. So the, the lesson I learned from my reading was if you ever find yourself upside down, the first thing you want to do is you want to put the nose well above the horizon to keep the speed under control. So that's what I did. So there I was, upside down, in stable flight, hanging from my belts with all of the contents of the floor of the glider now up my nose, in my hair, and up on the canopy. But fortunately, I was okay, and I rolled the glider uh, back to the upright and uh, continued the flight and uh, realized right then and there that the basic training you receive as a private pilot glider is not really enough to deal with what can happen. Uh, We all know in a lot of general aviation accidents happen due to upsets. A lot of general aviation accidents occur due to spins, stall spin type of situations. So at the first opportunity I got, I sought out uh, an instructor that taught glider aerobatics. It worked out that there was a gentleman that comes down from Canada each year. He's a famous air show performer. He performs with a glider. His, the gentleman's name is Manford Radius, and he's performed at Sun and Fun and many other air shows throughout the United States. And fortunately, he comes down to Seminole Lake Glider Port, where I fly, uh, to practice before uh, the air show season begins. Well, there was a two-seat ASK-21 glider at Seminole Lake, and I basically begged Manfred to teach me aerobatics, which he did. And, yeah, the the ASK-21 is a really good training ship, and for basic aerobatics, uh, inverted flight, uh, hammerhead, you know, steep turns, things like that, it's a good ship. So we went through and he gave me the fundamentals. Well, that wasn't enough for me. I needed more G's. So <laughs> what I, yeah, I needed a lot more G's. So I went out to uh, Arizona Soaring, which is out in Maricopa, Arizona. And there's a gentleman out there that owns Arizona Soaring in Maricopa by the name of Jason Stevens. He's a famous aerobatic pilot. He's won numerous championships over the years, and he was also the pilot that flew the glider scene in the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So this guy's got some serious credentials. I went out there over uh, the Christmas New Year's holiday, and I said, I want some G's. And we yanked and banked and flew upside down and rolled and I just had the time of my life. And I've been out there a number of times, I think about five times now over the last uh, six years. And Jason and I have become very good friends. I've had another uh, number of other instructors that have helped me out here and there. Uh, There was a gentleman by the name of Sasha Marvin, who is a 
an Italian uh, Italian American immigrant. Uh, he's uh, was on the Italian national team. He coached me for a while, uh, and I've had a few other people help me out here and there. When I felt like I was in a position where I wanted to start competing in aerobatics, uh, I went to the International Aerobatics Club website and joined International Aerobatics Club. And I looked on their website and I said, well, what's the next competition available? And it turned out that it was the U.S. Nationals. So I said, Amazing. okay, let's just go ahead and enter the U.S. Nationals and see how this goes. So I entered in the sportsman category and I went to Jason and I went to Sasha and I asked them to help me design uh, a free program. Now, in competitive aerobatics, it's kind of like figure skating. You fly a known program, which is published at the beginning of the year, and everybody gets a chance to practice it all year long. That's kind of like in figure skating, the compulsories. Then you have the free program, and the free program is one you design yourself. And that's the same as they do in figure skating. And then you have a series of unknown programs. And those are programs that are given to you the night before you fly them, and you're not allowed to practice them. All you can do is walk them. I designed my first free program with Jason and Sasha's help. And I went to my first U.S. Nationals. Well, when I went to turn in my free program to the judges, they looked at my free program and they go, wait a minute, what's going on here? You're in sportsman category. This free program is way above your pay grade. Can you do this? And I said, I've been doing it. What's the problem? So they kind of go, okay, fine. We're going to be keeping an eye on you. Make sure you're safe, but you could fly it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's your program. So uh, my first nationals was the 2017 nationals and I won the free program in sportsman. So wow, I was pretty, congratulations. Pretty, thank you very much. I was very proud of that. Uh, flew a very safe uh, contest. Everybody had a good time. And uh, so I started, I, Continued my training after 2017, and I made two more trips out to Arizona for uh, to train with Jason. And during that time, I also bought my own aerobatic glider. So what I would do is I would train with Jason, and then I would come back and I would fly programs that he sent me, and I would use cameras on my glider, and then I would send the video to Jason to critique my flying. So during the time uh, very that I, cool. Yes, so during the time that I was here in Florida, I was sending all of my homework to be graded by Jason and then we would work on my weak points when I went out to Arizona. Well, when I was deciding what to do about 2018, I wanted to go back to the Nationals. But I didn't want to fly in sportsman because I really felt like sportsman wasn't really challenging me enough. So I looked at the uh, programs in the intermediate category and nothing in there really interested me. It was still too easy. So I said, OK, I'm going to enter in advanced. 
Well, when the people at IAC got my registration and looked and I had jumped from sportsman straight to advanced, again, I got the hairy eyeball. Everybody's kind of going, whoa, wait a minute, what is she doing? But Jason and I went to nationals last year and we finished one, two in advanced, which I thought was pretty cool. Wow. Um, yeah, he beat me in my own glider. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> when, a, when a previous, you know, unlimited champion beats you in your own glider, you know, you don't feel too bad. No, I guess not. Yeah. And we've become great friends. And, and uh, so since I had finished in the top two at the Nationals, uh, I have the opportunity now to go to Diva Romania in July and fly in the Advanced World Championship. So on the uh, 11th of July, I'm going to Romania and I'm going to be there for the contest through the 28th, which is going to wow. be really kind of, yeah, that's going to be really cool. Very uh, cool. Yeah, I'm definitely a little fish in a big ocean because there's a lot of really great aerobatic pilots uh, in the world. You know, soaring is not really, really that big here in the United States. And glider aerobatics is even a smaller subset uh, of general general aviation. And uh, so you can count the number of heavy-duty aerobatic competitors in the glider categories here in the United States, probably on two hands with a few fingers left over. So, gotcha. uh, yeah, getting a chance to go to the world's only, uh, you know, th- this early on in my flying is a real honor and I'm not taking it lightly. I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> I'm sure you will do great, but yeah, what an amazing amazing chance at at going to do that 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 is that's awesome yeah so uh the plan for this year is obviously july will be pretty much taken up with the worlds uh i'm probably going to go back out to maricopa at least one more time before then uh to do some additional follow-up training with jason uh in july I'm scheduled uh, to fly the 10-hour unlimited aerobatic course with Patty Wagstaff up in St. Augustine in the uh, Super Decathlon and the Extra. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, in September, we're going to be in Salinas, Kansas for the U.S. Nationals. And then I'm thinking I'm probably going to go back out to Arizona for the Tequila Cup, which is the Southwest Regional. And I'm hoping that Jason will let me fly his fox out there in Arizona, the Tequila Cup. So we'll see how all this goes. Now, if I were or someone else would want to go out and watch that, are you able to watch the Nationals as a bystander? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's in Salinas, Kansas. And... uh, I don't have the exact dates in front of me. I want to say it's the 21st through the 28th of September. Don't hold me on those dates. But, yeah, uh, spectators are more than welcome. Uh, Now, the Nationals is both powered and glider. So you have both flying. 
and okay. we take turns in the box. Oh, that's and a bonus. Yeah. And you get to, you know, if you if you show up at nationals, you get to see people like Rob Holland and these amazing, you know, aerobatic pilots. Rob is like a machine. He's incredible. Uh, I got a chance to fly his aircraft, not with him, with his ferry pilot, uh, Mr. Fiegel. Steve Fiegel is his ferry pilot that moves his his extra around the country. Okay. And uh I got a chance to fly in Rob's uh, extra a couple of months back, and that was a really exciting experience. Uh, gliders, you know, they have a roll rate that you can measure with a sundial. Uh, but I got in that extra, and we went out in the box, and Steve says, well, let's try a couple of rolls. So I cranked the stick over, and the thing's got a roll rate of like about 700 degrees per second. And I mm. thought I was about going to bounce my head off the canopy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a whole – powered aerobatics is a whole different world than gliders. Uh, a lot of the control inputs are different. When I first talked to Patty Wagstaff about coming up and doing her course, we had talked at length about my glider aerobatics. And she mentioned to me that, you know, she says, so close to the worlds, are you concerned about getting your control inputs mixed up between the powered and the glider? And I, and I don't think that's really going to be a problem. I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing aircraft. Yeah, because that would be a transition, it would seem. Well, a lot of the a lot of the figures in the glider, you know, because you don't have the torque of a motor and you're always operating in an energy deficit, uh, you know, with a with a powered airplane, you can do things that you can't do in a glider or you have to do in a different way in a glider. For example, if you're doing a hammerhead, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with what a hammerhead is, you basically go up vertical and just before you stop, you make a 180 degree turn to a down vertical and then you pull out. Well, in a powered airplane, typically you have the torque of the motor to help you move the aircraft up at the top where you have very little airflow over the control surfaces. Well, since you don't have that motor to help you at the top of the hammerhead in a glider, what you have to do is you we call it tricking the glider basically what you do is when you're getting ready to make your pull to the vertical you drop the wing in the direction you want to turn about three to five degrees and then as you pull to the vertical as you're going up you actually feed in rudder opposite the direction you want to turn so you're actually going up in kind of like a side slip and what yeah, you're right. doing is you're creating a positive pressure on the side of the glider away from the direction to turn. So when you get to the top, when you transition, when you run out of opposite rudder, then you switch to the rudder in the direction you want to turn. And that positive pressure on the side of the glider actually turns the glider for you. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, it's nice. a little it's a it's a little cheat trick that they that that I learned you know, in, in, in the process of learning glider aerobatics. So the techniques are slightly different, but the end result should be the same. The standard for a hammerhead turn is you have to make the 
transition from the vertical up to the vertical down in one wingspan. So you have to make a very tight turn at the top. And if the turn is radius too wide, it's a deduction. If you don't complete the turn and you start to fall sideways at the top of the hammerhead, that's also a deduction. So you want to go up as close to vertical as possible. You want to make a nice tight radius turn at the top. And then you want to make a clean vertical a line down and then pull out and that's a good hammerhead turn wow and th that's a lot of stuff going on very you know very quickly a lot of what we do in training is developing the the visual and the muscle memory a lot of people don't understand they think you know when you're flying aerobatics that you're looking out the front of the aircraft and most of the time when you're doing verticals you're not looking out the front of the aircraft. If you've ever looked at an aerobatic aircraft, out on the wingtips, usually on, well, mostly on both wings, but sometimes only on one wing, you have a stick out sticking out on the wingtip, and it usually has like a vertical, uh, a vertical line and 245s. And what those are, that's horizontal position indicators. So when you dive in and you have to make a 45 degree down line, you put the position stick on the horizon so that you know that your 45 is truly 45. Same thing when you're going up or when you go 90 up or you're going vertically up, you put the horizontal on the horizon. So if you go up, and you have to do a roll on the upline, you, you're basically looking at the wing and you're tracking your way around. Most of your vertical movement is done looking out at the position indicator on the wing. Your rolls, of course, you're looking out the front of the aircraft. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting a lesson in aerobatics. Awesome. <laughs> as well as everyone else, too. That That's incredible. Can I ask you about your glider that you're flying for aerobatics and why you fly that glider? Well, the glider I fly is called an SZD-59. It's a Polish-made glider, and it's designed for unlimited aerobatics and soaring, which makes it kind of unique in the glider world. Most gliders are optimized for either soaring or aerobatics, and they don't do the other very well. Uh, typically, a soaring glider has a very long wingspan, usually 15 meters, 18 meters, or greater. And their roll rate is very lethargic, and there's a very limited number of aerobatic maneuvers you can do with them. You can do a few loops and maybe a stall turn, and, you know, that's it. They also have what's called dihedral, and that's if you look at a glider in flight, a soaring glider, Typically, what you'll see is the wingtips are noticeably higher than the root, and that gives the glider a lot of stability. It doesn't; it wants to fly upright. So, if you're in a steep bank and you let go of the controls, the glider, like a skydiver with his hands and legs up in the air, falls face to earth. Well, the glider will right itself. Well, you don't want that in an aerobatic glider. You want to be able to fly equally well upright and inverted. So what happens with an aerobatic glider, rather than having a wing optimized for soaring, 
with a lot of dihedral, you have a, in an aerobatic glider, you have a more symmetrical wing and it has virtually no dihedral. And some of the unlimited aerobatic gliders have actually anhedral, which is the wing slopes downward slightly, which allows it to fly very stable inverted. Those gliders, the aerobatic gliders also typically have a shorter wingspan and they don't soar very well. What's unique about the SCD-59 glider is that it has 13.2 meter wingspan, the actual wing itself, and then you have interchangeable winglets that allow you to go from 13.2 meters to 15 meters by simply pulling the pins and changing out the wingtips. Now, where that becomes an advantage is I can fly aerobatics in the morning and do a practice with the short wing tips, and then I can land, take the short wing tips off, put the long wing tips on, and in the afternoon when the thermals start to develop, I can go on a soaring cross-country flight with the same glider. Awesome. I believe it's one of the only gliders currently made that does both reasonably well. Yeah, that, I mean, that is a very cool option that you don't have to worry about jumping in another glider or purchasing another glider or renting another glider. You just change the wings out and you can do both. That's sweet. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's a great piece of equipment. Uh, there aren't a lot of them out there. I don't. Uh, there, gliders as a rule are not produced in the quantities that general aviation aircraft are, and because of that, most not all, but most of your gliders are uh, experimental. Uh, you know, they're certificated experimental simply because the manufacturers produce them in such limited quantities that going through the certification process would drive the price up too high. You know, since it's a single seat glider, I don't, I, I couldn't do instruction in it anyway, but, you know, being an, an experimental aircraft, if it was a two-seater, I still couldn't do instruction in it. But, you know, that's all right by me. Yeah, that sounds like a very, very cool glider. The, uh, the, the, the aircraft is, uh, I've done quite a bit of work to it. When I first got it, you know, it was my first aircraft I ever bought, and I was really a rube when it came to, you know, the whole process of purchasing an airplane. I had never done it before. I had done my homework, and I had a reasonably good idea of what I wanted. It was just a question of where would I find it, and could I afford it? And fortunately, one uh, there's a website called Wings and Wheels. They actually have a classified for sailplanes, and I found it my 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 ship on Wings and Wheels for sale, and I went, oh, I gotta have this glider. I just gotta have this glider. This is really this is the goods here. So I called the gentleman up that owned it, and uh, he said, well, I've only had it listed for six hours, and I go, okay, well that's fine. I want to buy your glider. And he says, okay, send me a check. And I went, okay, the deposit's on its way. So I went to the AOPA and I said, please, 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 please approve me for a loan. And they said, okay. And uh, the rest is history. But uh, since that time, uh, I have done quite a bit of work to the glider, mostly improvements in performance. Uh, I've replaced the... Uh, 
the drum brake system. You know, a glider only gets its braking power from one wheel. You know, so most gliders, the general rule is you never point them at anything you don't want to run over because they don't stop very well. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't very comfortable with that. I had uh, I had brakes on my glider that you squeeze the brake a little bit. Is the brake is on a handle on the air brake. And you squeeze the brake a little bit and you got no brakes. You squeeze the brake a little more, you have you feel like you might have a little bit of brake. You squeeze the brake just a little bit more and the thing wants to stand on its nose. And I said, no, we're not gonna do that. So uh, I've replaced the, uh, the brake system with a hydraulic disc brake system, makes it much easier to control and safer. Uh, I've done some wiring work. I've replaced the radio. I put a transponder in it for safety, mostly safety-related stuff. And then, of course, I've put a uh, a seatbelt system in it, very similar to what you would see in your unlimited-powered aerobatic aircraft with the dual lap belt system and the ratchet, you know, just to hold you in a lot tighter. But other than that, the glider is pretty much factory. Oh, nice. When you get all that, you did all the work yourself, obviously, I guess you had to have it checked out. Well, actually, I didn't do all the work myself. I have a few people to thank for that. Uh, you know, I purchased the uh, the brake conversion kit from Wings and Wheels. Uh, a gentleman uh, who is an AMP AI out at Seminole Lake Gliderport uh, by the name of Cliff McVeigh did the conversion for me. I helped him with the work, but he actually did the work, and he did the uh, the post inspection, and of course we did a new weight and balance and all of that kind of thing. Sebastian Communications over on the Merritt Island Airport was kind enough to do all the wiring and avionics installation in the panel. They did a really awesome job on that and uh, made it really, it looks really good and it works really good. So I'm very happy with that. Other than that, like I said, the seat belts were, a pretty, were pretty much a, a, a user install kind of thing. Uh, but other than that, the glider is pretty much as it came from the factory. Nice. So where do, where do you see Laura Radigan in the coming years? You're gonna obviously keep competing what what is your goals? Well, my goals obviously uh, I've completed my private glider rating and my commercial glider rating, so technically I can charge. Well, for what I don't know. Uh, I want to become a glider flight instructor, and I'm uh, working towards that. I've got my sign off to take my fundamentals instruction test and my glider CFI test. So that's in the future. I'm also working on my instrument rating with a friend of mine, and we're doing a lot of instrument hood work, getting ready for that. So I don't see getting all of that done this year with the com competition schedule, but hopefully I can get the CFI done before the end of the year. That's, that's where that's going. Uh, the competitions are the primary focus right now, with the hopes that, uh, oh, let me back up just a second. One of the things that I've been, uh, other things that I'm working on is there's a, out at Seminole Lake Gliderport, uh, you know, we have a practice area. It's not an official practice area. It is in, 
you know, class G airspace. So basically you're free to do what you want and it's away from the airport. But I felt that really wasn't enough for safety. I use a ground observer when I practice that has a radio that if he sees anyone coming my way, he, he, he gives me a knock it off call. But I, I really f- would feel a lot better if we had a designated practice area that was on the charts. So uh, what I've recently done is I've just uh, this week sent the paperwork off to the uh, FISDO in Orlando to have a, uh, a aerobatic box designated on the west side of Seminole Lake Glider Port for glider use only. And that just, it makes me feel like I'm more in control of the situation. And uh, when pilots get their briefings, when they, when they call, you know, flight service for a briefing, if, the, if I make the box hot, they'll be notified. So that'll be another layer of safety that I wanted to, you know, have available. Uh, this sport, we're very safety conscious because we are flying, you know, in, in a much wider flight envelope than most people do. So you have to be very health conscious. You have to be very aware of aeromedical factors. You don't fly when you've got a stuffed up nose or blocked ears. Uh, you're always doing see and avoid. Uh, ground observers to make sure that no one is encroaching on your maneuver box when you're flying. All those are good, just safe. They're common sense things, but sometimes people just don't think about that. And uh, you really have to do all your preparation on the ground. Once you get in the box, aerobatics is an assault on your senses. Uh, You never lose the sensation of you're upside down, you're on your side, you're pointed straight up, you're pointed straight at the ground. So you're very focused on executing the figures as accurately as possible. So I really depend upon my ground observer to make sure my airspace is clear. Now, the box we fly in for competition is a one kilometer square box. And it begins at 4,500 feet above the ground and it ends at uh, 800 feet above the ground. And all your maneuvering has to be done within that box. If you begin your program above the box, that's a penalty. If you finish low, again, that's a penalty. If you go too low, it's called a low low. Uh, That's the official term for it, a low low, and you're disqualified. So we have to be very cognizant of our altitude and where we are relative to the box. So really, I don't have time during a program to look out for other aircraft because I'm positioning my aircraft in the box where it needs to be and, you know, flying the figures accurately. And that's that keeps you pretty busy. Oh, I would imagine doing all of that and staying in at those altitudes without an engine. Right. Pretty amazing, as gliders are, as as we know. So basically, the aerobatics, the the principal difference between glider aerobatics and powered aerobatics can be summed up in, first of all, in glider aerobatics, you are always operating at an energy deficit. In powered aerobatics, 
you're always operating at an energy surplus. You've always got the throttle. The other difference is in powered aerobatics, you have the torque of the engine to help you. In glider aerobatics, you don't have that help. So when you're flying a glider, you're always exchanging altitude for airspeed. You have a finite amount of energy, altitude or airspeed. When you run out of altitude and energy, you're done. So in competition, you have usually a program consists of 10 figures. So each figure will either gain you or lose you a certain amount of altitude. If you're gaining altitude, you're losing speed. If you're gaining speed, you're losing altitude. So you have to know before you start, well, this figure, I should be about at this altitude exiting this figure. And I have to be at a certain speed exiting figure one to be capable of safely executing figure two. Imagine if figure two was a loop and you exited figure one too slow, you would fall out of the top of the loop. All this is planned out ahead of time so that you know what your entry speeds and exit speeds for every figure have to be to properly execute the figures. And it all has to be done within those altitude constraints. So when you go out and you practice your maneuvers, I guess my question is, how long do you have to practice those maneuvers before, okay, it's time to land, I don't have enough altitude? A typical aerobatic flight on a day when there is no lift, none at all. And when I practice, I try to practice on days when there's no thermals and there's very little wind. Uh, obviously, if you're flying very close to the red line, you don't want to fly through a wind shear or a thermal because that would put additional strain on the aircraft that you don't need. So a typical 10-figure program to tow to altitude, enter the box, fly the program, enter the pattern, and land usually takes about 20 minutes. Okay, yeah. There's a lot, a lot going on in 20 minutes, but like you said, you have to plan it all out and make sure you the, get it within that time. The actual program, the actual flying of the program takes between four and five and a half minutes. So your actual practice time for each aerobatic flight in a glider is usually no more than about six minutes. Do they give you any practice time when you're like if you're at the nationals or is it just it's go time and you get towed up and you have to go right into it? Usually what will happen is when you register for the nationals, you'll get an email and they'll send you to a link and there'll be a spreadsheet and you can pick si sign up for specific practice times before the contest starts and you can practice whatever you want. You can practice your free program. You can practice your known program. Obviously, you don't have your unknowns, so you don't know what those are going to be. But you can you can usually get two, sometimes three practice sessions in before the Nationals actually begins. Once the Nationals begins, the contest is going. You can no longer practice, even if the box is open. So once you've done your two or three practice flights, you, you got what you got. Wow. 
So all the preparation has, all the homework has to be done at home. That's that's a lot of homework. <laughs> it is, but you know, in all fairness, uh, I have at home uh, a flight simulator, like a lot of pilots do. But there's a program that we use in soaring called Condor, and it's a soaring program, but it has an aerobatic capability as well. And I do use the simulator to work out the program timing and flow. So what I'll do is I'll work out a program, I'll send it to my coach, he'll look at it, we'll talk on the phone, uh, we'll hash out any disagreements, and then I'll start flying it on the simulator and working out the times. Once I have the timing all worked out and the entry speeds and have that all kind of figured out, I'll have a big old markup sheet, a program card that I put in the glider, and it'll have, oh, on this vertical down, I make a quarter turn to the right. On this vertical vertical up, I make a, a quarter turn to the left or whatever, and all my entry speeds and exit speeds. And the first time I fly through the program, I'll stick very closely to that card and see if I wind up either too high finishing, too low finishing, right on altitude, if anything really doesn't work. And we'll hash all this out over the course of three or four flights, and I'll send the, J the video off to Jason to have him take a look at it, and uh, he'll throw his comments on, and he'll say, well, you need to be faster here, you need to be slower here, you need to pull harder, you need to push less. You know, we work all these things out, and then uh, when I go out to Arizona, we'll get in his Fox and the two-seater, and we'll we'll fly it together. Very cool. You know, Condor is great for a lot of different things, but that that's awesome that you use it for aerobatics as well. I've used Condor a lot myself for practicing maneuvers, and yeah, it's, it's great. It's very helpful. Well, Condor really helped me out a lot when I was getting my glider reading because, as you know, one of the hardest things for a beginning glider pilot to learn is the aerotoe. There's very few people that are qualified to do formation flying. And yet every glider pilot that has a aerotoe endorsement technically is being trained to do formation flying. Absolutely. So learning the aerotoe is, is always hard for people. But for me, it was rather easy. Because the original version of Condor had a 100-foot-long tow rope on it. Now, typically, most gliders are towed using a 200-foot tow rope. So once I learned how to stay behind the tow plane on a 100-foot tow rope, when I got in the training glider, it was easy. So Condor... You know, I crashed Condor more a lot of times getting it right. But, you know, uh, the nice part about crashing Condor is you just hit reset and you start over again. Yeah, exactly. You you and me both. <laughs> there, yeah. There's things that you're willing to do on, well, me, like I haven't done cross-country yet, but anticipating hopefully in, in the near future. And, you know, I'll stretch out a little further than I would actually do in the glider at the club. But that's what makes it nice. You know, you can do that. You can practice that. Well, you know, Condor has the capability of online uh, contest flying as well, where you can fly with 
pilots from all over the world in virtually any venue. So if you want to go fly a 300-kilometer task in the Swiss Alps with, you know, Carl Stredick and a bunch of other great soaring pilots, you know, Sebastian Kabat, you can do it. Uh, it that, that's what's really nice about Condor, the online capability. And also, uh, you can do snapshots of various things. Uh, there's a function, I forget what it's called, it's a mirror or something like this, where you can actually fly a program and then play it back and fly it again. And it looks like there's two gliders flying formation aerobatics. It, it's really kind of cool. Yeah, I've done that. It, it, it's pretty wild. I think, I don't know if they call it ghosting, but is it the one you're referring to? Is that when you kind of go against yourself, the one you just did? You can record it and then fly fly with the glider you were just in yeah that's right it's ghosting yeah I've, i forgot the name of it but yeah I've, I've used that a few times but i also use it for the aerobatics because sometimes i want to try a figure that i'm not really sure how this is going to work out you know, it's everybody likes to push, but it's it's easy to push in a in a simulator because if you mess it up, you hit the reset. When I first start learning how to do things like the outside loop, outside loops, if there's an aerobatic pilot out there that says he isn't afraid of an outside loop, don't fly with that guy. <laughs> Outside loops are scary, and I've done a bunch of them, and they're always scary. Uh, things like tumbles. Uh, one of the figures, it's not an official figure, but it's something I do kind of to show off. Is a, I call it the Humpty Tumble. And basically, you pull, you, you get up a bunch of speed, about 130 knots, and you pull to a vertical upline, and then you immediately do a snap roll with where a snap roll is typically done with elevator and rudder i do it with elevator rudder and aileron so what the glider does it goes it it snaps it goes inverted does a 360 degree inverted pirouette a flip over and then a second 360 degree pirouette and then drops to the nose down wow it's it's an inertia maneuver. What you ha the faster you go, the more rotation you get. When you pull up, if you wait, the longer you wait, the more speed you bleed off and the less inertia you have. So you pull and you make the snap immediately and you get two full rotations with the tumble. And it and it's it's like Mr. Toad's wild ride. You just go up and give it a pop and it just and you just watch the the ground in the sky and the ground in the sky and the ground in the sky and it's then halfway through the second uh, rotation around you just neutralize all the controls and as soon as you do that the glider drops nose down and then you just pull out of the dive and it looks like the glider is literally tumbling end over end it's just the coolest thing people uh, people see me do that and of course, you get two reactions right off the bat. First is, I can't believe a glider can do that. And then 
their second reaction is, what did I just see? <laughs> <laughs> you can see that on my YouTube channel. I have I have that on on one of my videos. And uh, it's it's definitely Mr. Toad's wild ride. And I just I just that that's one of my favorite figures to fly. Well, we will include the your YouTube channel if that's cool with you. We'll put sure. that in the notes on the websites so people can click on that link and check that out. Well, the the end game to all of this, as you probably have already figured out, is I want to become an airshow performer. I want to follow in the steps of Manford Radius. He was my mentor. He was the first pilot that took me under his wing and taught me aerobatics. And I want to do what he does. I want to fly air shows. And part of the reason why I've gone through the labor of love with the FAA to get the aerobatic practice area designated at Seminole Lake is because to get a aerobatics competency card, an ACE card, as they call it, you have to fly before an ACE examiner and it has to be done in a wavered airspace. So what I had to do is I had to get an a-, a wavered airspace. So once this whole world championships and nationals and all this nonsense kind of settles down, I'm going to uh, get with an ACE examiner and get my aerobatic certification card And also, that will permit me to operate below the 1,500-foot FAA-mandated hard deck. I'll be able to go down to 800 feet when I have an ACE card. Uh, Nice. Yeah, currently I have to knock it off at 1,500 feet because that's the FAA-mandated minimum. Uh, It's a little different in Europe. Europe is – the world championship is is a different breed of cat. what happens in Europe, the box, you know, obviously they do everything metric in Europe. So in Europe, the top of the box is a thousand meters and the bottom of the box is 200 meters. So it's much lower. And uh, the way they determine the altitudes is also different. Here in the United States, when you fly an aerobatic contest, Uh, Before the competition starts, the judges go out on the judging line and they have a pilot fly what they call the low lines. And they'll fly at the lowest permitted altitude and they'll fly the front corner of the box down both sides and down the back. So the judges can see the angles relative to the low lines. Well, in Europe... In the FIA competition, they actually install a barometric transponder in the glider that has a radio link to the chief judge's table. Wow. Yeah. So there's no fudging. What happens is when when you take off, the transponder goes beep, 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 beep. When you get above 200 meters, it shuts up. And then when you're on tow and you get above a a thousand meters, it goes beep, beep, beep again. Well, when you tow into the box, if you dive in and you crack off your first figure, and let's say your first figure is, uh, let's say, a Humpty Bump where there's a vertical component. If you crack off that first figure and you 
make your vertical up. And before you make the pull to the down line, the transponder starts going beep, beep, beep. Guess what? You hard zeroed that figure and you got a high penalty. Oh. Same thing what happens is if you're flying your program and you get the beep, beep, beep at the bottom and you're still maneuvering, if you haven't wagged out, you wag in and you wag out, wing rock. Uh, so if you haven't wing rocked out and you drop below the 200 meters, you get a low penalty. And that is immediately uh, transmitted to the chief judge's table. There's no cheating. There's no fudging. There's no guesswork involved. They know exactly how high you started, and they know exactly how low you finished. So you have to be very precise in the FIA competition. And that, more than anything else, has me concerned uh, because, you know, this is an energy management equation that's running in real time and very quickly. And you have to, uh, in the heat of the moment, you can, uh, there can be some tunnel vision going on. I have to be very, I have to be able to fly my programs pretty much on automatic because I'm going to be having to watch that altitude very closely. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of practice. Lots of practice. Typically what I do is I have a very, I won't say understand. He's pretty pretty engaged boss. He's pretty engaged in what I do. So what we typically do is, uh, again, we come out, come down with a case of Cessna during the week sometime. Uh, what normally <laughs> happens, yeah, back to the Cessna again. Uh, I'll tell the boss, I'll say, hey, you know, it looks like a really nice day. I'm not coming in today until after lunch. Uh, like what I did today, I got up at uh, 3.15 in the morning, I fixed myself a light breakfast, I got on the road, I drove uh, an hour and a half over to the glider port, pre-flighted, got my glider ready, and uh, ground rehearsed my program a few times, and then as soon as the tow pilot got there, uh, I did uh, three training flights, put the glider back in the hangar, and drove back and went back to work. Now, during the rest of the week, I'll make up the four hours I lost today. So typically I'll fly three programs one day when the weather is good during the week, and then I'll fly either two programs on Saturday or two programs on, and two programs on Sunday or three programs on Saturday and skip Sunday. Uh, so typically I fly seven Seven to ten aerobatic flights a week is pretty much the minimum training required to compete at this level. Okay, yeah, wow, that's that's a lot though. It ha it has to be. This is this is not an easy sport. It is it is the hardest, most. It's physically challenging. You know, I'm, I'm pulling six G's positive and three and a half G's negative in the programs that I fly. So you're, you're looking at nearly a 10 G swing. And there's several points in the program where I go from five G's positive straight into a minus three push. So oh, when you my. have an eight G swing, uh, it when you land at the end of three programs, you might as well have run a marathon. It's physically demanding. I, I go to the gym. 
I work out. I, I walk a lot. Um, it's it's the only way you can do this. It's people think of of aerobatics. Oh, these are pilots, but they're not just pilots. We're athletes, and people don't understand the physical demands that are placed upon an aerobatic pilot that has to perform at this level. You have to be in shape, and your airplane has to be in shape. Yeah, the whole the whole package. Yeah, we do we do our annuals every six months. Because the aircraft is flown so hard, so much, I do my annuals every six months. The FAA requires that my emergency parachute be repacked every six months. I get it repacked every three months. Uh, it's you know you have to be very, so proactive and you have to be so detail oriented in your pre-flight inspection. Because if something goes wrong up there at the speeds we're flying and the G's we're pulling, it's going to end badly. And you have to do all your homework before you leave the ground. Absolutely. Wow. You know, we were talking earlier before we started this, and you were telling me that, you know, basically you're at home, you're relaxing, and you see a Groupon, and you go. You know, I, I have to ask you, what would you tell someone that hasn't even gotten into a glider, they haven't even gotten to an airplane, but they're thinking about it, you know, like you were, what would be some advice you'd give them? Well, the first thing is glider flying, learning to fly a glider is probably where every general aviation pilot should start. I was very fortunate. It just fell into my lap with a Groupon coupon, but every pilot Even the most experienced pilots that I've talked to said glider flying makes you a better pilot because you learn what those pedals are for, the rudder pedals. You can fly a general aviation aircraft pretty much with your feet on the floor for the most part. A glider, not a chance. You learn how to wear an aircraft. Glider flying you know when i get in the glider it's like getting in a little formula one race car you don't sit in it you wear it like a skin and you feel the air in the wings it's uh the sensation you get when soaring is very similar to the opening scene in the movie avatar where jake sully talks about having the dreams of flying well that bubble canopy and that little small cockpit, you really do feel like you're just a bird. And uh, it makes you a better, it makes you more in tune with the aircraft. You feel the aircraft. I highly encourage people to try aviation. There are some people, you know, they're going to try it once. They're going to go, nope, it's not for me. That's fine. If, if, but get, keep an open mind. Because uh, I can honestly say it's it's opened so many amazing avenues for me. I've met so many wonderful people. I've had so many experiences. I've been able to travel all over the country and now to various parts of the world and share a common bond with an amazing group of people. Uh, the experiences you get uh, traveling and meeting people and sharing your stories is just remarkable. I haven't, you know, I've been involved in a lot of other 
pastimes of auto racing, motorcycles, things like this. I've always been a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, but I've never met a group of people that really were so welcoming as general aviation. Uh, everyone has an amazing story to tell. And, you know, even if you don't want to go flying right away, just go to your local FBO on a Saturday morning with uh, a coffee cake in your hand. And they usually have a coffee pot on. And there's usually a bunch of old timers sitting around telling stories drinking coffee and just having a good old time and sit down and talk about talk with them about their experiences and if their experiences don't light the fire within you well then maybe general aviation isn't for you but uh, I think I think you'll really enjoy it amen to that some great advice it truly is an amazing community and that's the first thing I felt being at the glider port for my first hour at the club that I'm at now. And everybody was so welcoming and so happy to have me there and happy to share the love of soaring. It, it truly is an awesome group of people. One of, one of the coolest experiences I think I've had was, uh, you know, when you're soaring, birds will fly in formation with you. I've had a number of times when I was doing cross-country flying and I've flown with eagles, literally wing to wing with them. They look at me and they accept me as one of their own. Turkey vultures all the time at surprisingly high altitudes. But one of the most interesting experiences I've had in the glider flying cross country, I was coming back from up north, flying back down towards Seminole Lake. And I was coming in from the northwest. And there's not a lot of landable locations out there. And so I was getting quite concerned because, uh, you know, I knew I had to get uh, some a climb to make it back to the glider port. And off in the distance, I noticed something that looked very odd. Uh, it was kind of like a little pink cloud off in the distance. And I'm like, what in the world is that? So I start flying towards it because it was on my route of flight. And as I got closer, I realized that I was coming up on a flock of about a dozen pink flamingos. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So because they fly at a comparatively close speed to what the glider flies, I thought, well, these guys aren't flapping their wings. That means there's got to be lift over here somewhere. So they're flying along, and I just ease in behind them. And I keep a respectful distance from the from the flock, and we're flying along, and sure enough, there's the lift I need. And they took me back out over the great, they took me across the great green swamp, and uh, I made it back to Seminole Lake with my pink flamingos flying in formation. It was just a, it was a magical experience. And most people never get to experience what is going on up in the sky. And it's a beautiful, magical place. You just have to be willing to take that first step and just walk into your local FBO or your local glider port and say, I want a discovery flight. It's not ridiculously expensive. It's very safe. And if you never do it, you're never going to know what you missed. 
And I'm here to tell you, you're, if you're not doing it, you're missing a lot. Amen. A lot for sure. Laura, I want to thank you so much for taking your time. It sounds like you are very busy. you got some very big things coming up for you. And, you know, I wish you the best of luck. I know you're going to do great. And it's, it's just been great having you, having you on the show today. And thanks again for that. Thank you very much. Let's all go flying sometime, huh? Let's do it. All right. And if you want to go flying, jump online to www.ssa.org. You can find out where you can take your first glider ride in your local area. While you're online, check us out on Facebook at Soaring the Sky Podcast. As well as Instagram, we are on Soaring the Sky Podcast. You can find us there. Also, if you are a pilot and you have a unique story you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Contact us at chuck at soaringthesky.com. If you're a listener, I would love to hear where you're listening from. Just drop us a line and say hi. We hope to have you right back here for episode 13 next time on Soaring the Sky.